they have a team of writers and jokes. Was that too far? Everyone has a team of writers. Do we have a team of writers? Yes. We are. That's me. Yeah, us. Us. That's me. Um, okay. Gosh. Well, welcome back to the Sweet Tea Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Hello, everyone. Ariana and Britt Allen, Hi. who works in our Write on Crime division. Although she has been with TPPF much longer than her newer role here. Mm -hmm. And she has an amazing marketing background. So can you just tell us a little bit about what Write on Crime is and yeah. kind of how you function in that role? Yeah. So Write on Crime is an initiative of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, like we know, but their focus is conservative criminal justice solutions in the United States. Um, and then my role there is I work with our uh, director of communications, Tanya Carr, and I'm the digital marketing manager. So um, social media, media, email marketing, you know, website things, storytelling, everything that falls under the marketing umbrella is something that I get to have a hand in. And it's been a blast. I'm very fortunate to work on their team. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so we have all three creators. We have film, design and marketing. Whoop, whoop. It's a yeah. total powerhouse. The right backbone here. of capitalism. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, OK, well, let's go hop and grab a coffee. We will see you guys back in just a sec. Hey guys, uh, I just stepped out and grabbed some coffee with Brit. So we're here hanging out. Um, what is this drink that we have here? So today we have an iced vanilla latte with oat milk because I am a California girl by nature. So I have to introduce my alternative milks out here in Texas. But I love that's it. We've got. Um, yeah, this is definitely both of our drink of choice, I think. <laughs> yeah. This is like every girl's drink of choice. I wonder when oat milk's going to go out of style. I don't think it's very good for you, but I also hope not for It's so sad. It tastes so much better. I call this the working girl's drink. Like, you know how they have yeah. like girl dinner and girl lunch they, yeah. they talk about on TikTok? <laughs> this is the working girl's coffee. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, remember when soy was like all the rage back in the 90s? Not, not really. We were the ones, not that we were the ones like, guys, we were not around in the 90s. Like, we were not. I was going to say, my, my main concern in the 90s was my Polly po poly Pockets, but I mean, sure. <laughs> But they all drink soy, and soy is like so not good for like women because it has it's like high in estrogen and like blood, yeah. and it's just not good. I so I'm just waiting for them is. to come out with like, oh my gosh, oat milk <laughs> is going to be tragic for your for your body. I think they're starting to say that. I'm putting blinders on because yeah. I don't know what it is about a vanilla latte, but it's so much better. So with much better with oat milk. It just has that oat flavor to it. I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so you live in Texas now. I do. Okay. <laughs> Where were you born and raised? So I was born and raised in Northern California. I was born in the Bay Area and grew up really in the Sacramento suburbs, so the capital of California. I didn't know that. Yeah. I always just thought it was Southern California. No, I um, I always wanted to make it to Southern California. I grew up in the suburbs and I was always hoping that I would go live in LA and live the Los Angeles lifestyle, I guess if you will, which is so contrast to what I live now, but um, went to school at a small private Christian university outside of LA, Azusa Pacific. Go Kooks. <laughs> it's very small, <laughs> which means I'm kind of out of my element here in Texas. Everybody went to a big school, um, but I loved it. It was a great experience, and I thought for sure I was going to work in film PR and entertainment. You could not tell me otherwise. Um, had some internships out in LA and was part of that world. Yeah. Uh, decided quickly I couldn't live with the traffic or really the lifestyle, so got out. Uh, I was living in Orange County in a little beach town called San Clemente, which is still to this day one of my happy places, and I loved it. And um, that was post-college. Right, yeah, that's okay, post-college. Okay. Um, when I was in college, I met my husband, who is just a born and bred, bleeds Texas kind of guy, and he always wanted to move back 
I never imagined I was going to live in Texas. It was never part of my plan. Um, but, you know, after meeting him and talking to him about kind of what we wanted for our lives, I was like, you can afford a house in Texas? That's crazy. So, <laughs> needless to say, about six months after we got engaged, we moved to Dallas. We lived in downtown for about two years just to kind of get my bearings and um, after my first year really really fell in love with Texas and now I consider myself a true Texan would never ever move back it would it was just not part of my plan even if California fixed all of their stuff I wouldn't move back just because I, I really believe in um, this Texas hospi hospitality and the lifestyle yeah. here yeah. so the ethos um, of Texas the ethos of Texas yeah. exactly um, so yeah but now I'm, I'm a true blue Texan I love it um, yeah, just for the audience, she is super stylish and somehow finds like the best Texas fashion to wear. It's amazing. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> it's, it's very Weirdly inspiring. Enough, thank you. <laughs> um, so your value system, you started in California, mm -hmm. you moved to Texas, right. but you went to, it sounds like a small private Christian mm -hmm. university. So right. how did your values form and shift? And then how did you eventually end up in the role of marketing? Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately my values stem from my faith. I was born and raised Christian, um, non-denominational, was always part of the church. It was always part of my family, and pretty much what my family based their moral code on was on our Christianity and our Christian values. So um, that never really wavered. That's always been a part of my life. It ebbs and flows, like most Christians, I think, would say, but um, that's always been like a very firm part of myself and my moral code is my Christian values. So when I went out to um, LA, to go to school at APU, I was really excited to, you know, still have those Christian values mm -hmm. always around me. And I really credit my university to who I am today. I really got to dive into my faith and it helped me understand what I believe in even more. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, I was in LA and yeah. there is a culture in LA and, and there is a political system in LA. And um, politics, my, my family's always been conservative, um, but it was so did just, your family shy away from the talk of politics or was it just like a normal part of the conversation? It was never really, I think, a big part of the conversation. It's not like they shied away from it or tried to shield me from anything. It just wasn't really something we talked about a lot. It wasn't something I was super interested in growing up and then, you know, went off to college as a lot of us do and were exposed to different ideas. And so, um, you know, I just started believing very liberally. I mean, and to, to most kid, college kids' credit, we try to think of like what is the most empathetic way of looking at something. Yeah. And, you know, when that's just always, always being talked about, really the only point of view, that's what I really came to believe. It honestly wasn't until I met my husband, who was super, super Texan, always being conservative, policy and politics yeah. were always a part of his life and his interests. And I don't want to say he changed my mind, but he was the first person to have a really honest and open and respectful dialogue with me about politics and policy. Yeah. And what it came down to is um, he forced me to question myself and maybe defend some things I said I believed in. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I couldn't defend anything I said or believed in with facts or figures. That's amazing. So he and I would have discussions and, and he was never rude or condescending or anything. He, he just forced me to really look at what I said I was believing in and I was like, I don't know that I believe that and would have right. to go back to the drawing board. So I credit him a lot, um, but then also just a manner of growing up, getting off dad's payroll um, and, you know, getting a job for yourself, paying your own bills, paying taxes. It's like, well, wait a second. Yeah. 
I don't know that I really like this very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's FICO and what's he doing with my money? <laughs> so um, really, I would, I would credit all of that, but then ultimately going back to my Christian faith, when I started to really look at facts, figures, policies, outcomes, um, a, lot of, a lot more of conservative policy is just more in line with, for me, what I would say is the Christian faith and, and biblical principles. So that's ultimately what it came down to. Mm -hmm. Again, never had an interest in politics or policy, but here we are. Yeah, and it's just crazy. It. It's crazy where God takes you and how he uses certain things to move you along in your life. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of girls in our audience can probably identify with that of like mm -hmm. going to a college, whether it's big, small, private, public, yeah. getting influenced by that big city, right? and then having their value system questioned because they were like raised a certain way to believe a certain mm -hmm. thing, and then you know, if you don't have a foundation for why you believe what you believe, it's right. really easy to get sucked into like the cool stuff, the cultural stuff. Exactly. It's like, it feels like everything that's cool is often anti like Christian and anti conservative. So yeah. it's like, it's very easy, I think, for someone who's learning to kind of ebb and flow of mm -hmm. like, well, what do I believe in? I think that's a really healthy journey that you went on. But right. love that your husband <laughs> brought you back and yep. you are a Texan to me. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> That was not, that wasn't the consensus when I first moved, because everybody's so sweet when you first move. Where are you from? I'm from California. Didn't like that very much. Yeah, yeah. it's always like, oh, so are you here to stay? Are exactly, you are you here to stay? What are you bringing over with yeah, you? And I'd always yeah. just be like, I know, I promise I'm cool, I promise. Um, and then when it, going back to your question about getting into marketing, when I initially was, um, you know, applying for different colleges, I was my plan was journalism. Um, but at the time, journalism was kind of like moving into this digital age, and no one really knew for sure where it was going and if there was really even going to be a place for it. So, uh, I switched to a communications manager, honestly, because I thought it was going to be easy. Yeah which compared to some majors, I would say maybe it is, but I got a lot out of it. Something clicked. I took my first PR and social media class and I was hooked. Like I knew that that's what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. I knew that that was gonna be my career path um, and that it, I didn't know where it would take me, but I knew that that was gonna be something that was really in line with my strengths. So I stuck with it. It's all I know, really, truly. I mean, it's every job I've held out of college has been around marketing, PR, social media, yeah. or comms, and um, I'm really, really thankful for it because it's given me some really incredible experiences. I've worked um, in different agency settings. I've worked here in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. I've worked in the big corporations. I've worked freelance. So um, I've been able to have a wealth of experience because of that major and because of that path. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, it sounds like we have similar paths where it's yeah. like we did not expect to get into politics. Right. <laughs> um, and then we used artistic skill sets to yeah. help build up the movement and the mm -hmm. cause. And yeah. as I always like to tell you, let's make conservatives cool again. So. Let's make conservatives. <laughs> and I feel like here, especially at 901 Congress, I feel like we're really doing a great job of that. And I think it's because of creatives like yourself and um, just a different perspective on what this all could be. So I love it. Sounds good. All right. Well, Britt, thanks for grabbing coffee with me. Let's head back to the studio. Thanks. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad we got to learn a little bit more about Britt and her background. And um, a lot of what she was saying is now going to lead us into the policy pulse. So, Britt, you're working with Right on Crime now, mm -hmm. even though you've had a background in other parts of marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so now that you're in this role, what have you gotten to learn about criminal justice reform? 
Gosh, so much more than I ever thought I would know, especially from like a conservative standpoint. I feel like the criminal justice conversation is, you know, mostly dominated by one side of the aisle. And um, when it comes to criminal justice, you know, when I first started working with Right on Crime, I thought of myself as very much like a tough on crime conservative, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. lock them away. And what I've come to realize about myself through Right on Crime is that being tough on crime isn't necessarily being smart on crime. Um, So right on crime, we work in a multitude of different areas, such as like civil asset forfeiture and juvenile justice and and reentry and parole and whatnot. But I would say when it comes to right on crime and what we're fighting for is a more like a truly more just criminal justice system in the sense that we look at people as so much more than just their worst mistake. Mm -hmm. And now, granted, there are people that have to be locked up people that we are afraid of. But when it comes to people we're mad at, who maybe made a mistake in their worst moment that, Mm -hmm. you know, still has like this ability to have like redemption and and be redeemed and be able to put their life together and bring their family back together. That's really what Right on Crime is after, is an ability to um, not just throw people away and make them an amalgamation of their mistakes. They're more than that. So Mm -hmm. um, that has really, really like challenged what I thought I believed on criminal justice. And so I feel very fortunate to be part of that work. Brett Tolman and Julie Warren really spearhead that effort at TPPF. And I think they just do a fantastic job. And I'm just excited to be along for the ride and tell the story. So, Are there any cases or instances that have really um, highlighted that for you with that difference between being tough on crime mm-hmm. or things that would focus more on public safety rather right. than just locking up a criminal for for, the, for just for the sake of doing it. So when it comes to like one specific instance, I you know I don't feel like I've been around or know enough to point out one specific case, but I would say the issue of reentry has been a big focus for me since I've started. Um, and reentry is basically this idea of you know people come out of prison mm-hmm. and then what? You know, a yeah. lot of times that means that person can't find work. And when you can't find work, that means you really don't have um, an opportunity to put your life back together and have a sense of pride and independence. So when it comes to reentry, are there programs and can we institute programs that can facilitate bringing people who, you know, maybe have had a drug charge or, or you know, maybe stole a car? I don't mm-hmm. know what that looks like or what someone's story is. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that's another conversation. I love that game. Um, but, you know, those kind of people who it was a mistake, but it, it doesn't make up who they are. And we want to be make them less likely to reoffend as well. Right. Well, so that's what the research mm-hmm. actually points to is that, like, when you come out, being able to get into a job, mm-hmm. it, you, your recidivism rate lowers. Like your your yeah. chances that you're going to reoffend actually goes down. And they have also seen that you know formerly incarcerated individuals who go out and hold a job with their proper resources and support can actually be a lot more loyal, a lot more dependable, and a lot more hardworking than the average person in the workforce. And so being able to be part of that mm-hmm. and be able to tell stories that matter there. I think that can make a really big difference and not just like the incarcerated individual's life, but the business as well as communities. Communities are strengthened by Mm -hmm. that. And the research continues to point to that being true. Yeah, I have a follow up question for that. So Mm -hmm. since you're the marketing side of all of that, Mm -hmm. you had a really good line where you said, you know, conservatives are all about usually being like tough on crime. Mm -hmm. But you said something interesting where you want to be smart on Mm -hmm. crime. So 
from a marketing background, like, are you having to put a lot of effort into changing that narrative and showcasing that's like, okay, conservatives actually are, we do care about the heart. We do care about the individual. We don't just say lock them up. Like there is a rhythm and a rhyme to what we want to do. Yeah. So sorry. Question is, (laughs) as a marketer, how are you going about changing that and communicating that to the audience? Well, it's criminal justice is a really, really tough thing I've come to realize in terms of the nuance because every case and every person is so different. So proper messaging for one case and instance might not be exactly right for somebody Mm -hmm. else's. So that's always in flux and that's always changing. But I think for myself, for Tanya, for the whole Ride on Crime team, the best way to showcase that is by telling people's stories. Mm. And so when we're able to find instances of people who have really been through it, who have been incarcerated, who were given the opportunity to have a job, just being able to just shine a spotlight on that person and let them tell their story, I think makes all the difference in the world. And that goes into something deeper for marketing in the sense that like, when you take in information in story capacity, that sticks with you so much more than just reading facts and figures. And Mm -hmm. we know that because in all of our different capacities, we tell stories in different ways. So when we're able to really find the real people and we're able to just showcase their stories through different mediums like social media or video or through graphics Mm -hmm. or op-eds or whatever that looks like, I think that is a really big um, thing for us in Ride on Crime that we're trying to accomplish. But also there's this idea of when you're doing messaging, the marketing like rule of thumb is know your audience but we have forgotten as marketers really to think about who that audience is and what they want out of us Mm -hmm. ultimately what every consumer wants is somebody to help them solve their problem and if you can't showcase that you're doing that they're not looking for you to help them so for us at right on crime we're thinking about who are the people that need what we can provide Mm -hmm. resources support network policy ideas solutions who are those people really really getting into their headspace of what problem can we solve for them and telling that story yeah i would say that's the two-prong approach that you know we really believe in it right on crime i know we all really believe in at the foundation and something that it it takes time to shift your focus and your mindset to that way of messaging but that's really what what we believe in and what we're trying to do yeah, so you're saying you're saying that like the person who just left prison mm-hmm. does have an asset, like he is value, he or she is valuable yeah. to society, and you're marketing it to business owners and community leaders of like guys, like this really is better for society if they reengage. There will be so many benefits for not right. just him or her, but the business owner, the mm-hmm. neighborhood, the mm-hmm. community center. That's what you're saying, right? So yeah. you have a you have a formerly incarcerated individual who needs a job. Just say, for example, our audience is the business owner or the hiring manager. That's who we really want mm-hmm. to talk to because those are the people who were in charge of making the decision to hire that person, right? So we first off start off by identifying that person and then talking about their problem. Owning a business is really, really hard. Yeah. It takes a lot out of you. You've got a lot of decisions that you have to make. And part of those decisions is, you know, creating a team around you of hardworking, loyal, and dependable people. And 
But luckily for you, right on crime, we have a solution that can help you do that in your business to not only help your business, but bring your community back to life. Mm -hmm. That is just so much more compelling than being like, you know, X amount of percentage of individuals who are formerly incarcerated can do. No one cares. Yeah. How are you helping somebody solve a problem and tell a compelling story where the facts are there? But there's also a human element where you realize that's a person and an individual with inherent value and your business is seen and valued. And yeah. this can transform that business in that community. That feels a lot more compelling, at least for me as a consumer, that feels yeah, more compelling. Yeah, so you're identifying the different audiences of both right. like the, um, of the business owners, and then is there any way you're targeting other community members specifically? I mean, there are so many people that you can identify and go through this whole like storytelling pathway about. For us, re-entry, at, at least the way we're wanting to talk about it is in this way of like, business owner. Yeah. We see you. Because they're going to be the ones to make that hiring decision, I right. guess, at the end of the day. Right. And maybe juvenile justice, maybe we're talking to parents. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not talking about the, to, to the juvenile who's got, you know, a ton of things going on in their life. Maybe yeah. we're talking to the parent. And, and so being able to take each individual issue and really think about the human being behind it and what it is that they want out of something. Um, that's what we're really trying to get down to the root of. Wow. I mean, I don't know about you, but like that, like I was drawn in by that. I was like, man, keep talking. This is so great. Thank like you. you are already such a good storyteller. That's um, what marketing is. So. I love it. Um, okay. So let's move on to pop culture with principles. Something I know um, a little bit more about. <laughs> I think that's what we bonded over originally when you came to the foundation too. It's just like the pop culture stuff. I think it's very rare that we were talking about the actual policy I love it. in our <laughs> yeah. free time. So the Barbie movie just came out. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a, because I feel like this conversation can go in a million different directions. Mm -hmm. I came up with very specific questions that I want to ask you guys. Okay. And and just trust me on the flow. Trust me on the flow. Because okay. I know we're going to want to jump to like our final conclusion. But I want to I want to do justice to really giving a critique of this film. Okay. So to start out, were you raised with Barbies? Like, did you play with Barbies? What was your interaction with them? Absolutely. I was had, a Barbie girl? Oh my gosh. I was a Barbie girl. But I was also, I didn't discriminate. I was a huge Bratz girl too. And I my scene hilarious. and Polly Pocket. <laughs> but Barbie was like, that was my personal favorite type of doll. We had a ton between me and my sister. We had the dream house. We had the cars. I had a weird Barbie that definitely got cut up. <laughs> and her hair got chopped. But yeah, huge Barbie girl. I feel like I was just a few years too young to be on the big like Barbie train of okay. things because by that point um, the Polly Pockets were becoming a huge thing because yeah. that was like kind of at, at that heyday so for me <laughs> I was more into like the, the little Polly Pockets or um, I think I was like baby dolls and then I had a few Barbies but I just didn't enjoy playing with them as much because I think I had more clothes for my Polly Pockets Did you ever have a Polly Pocket jacket that you would chew on back in the day? Cause did. Wait did they have a what? Because it was made of like that type of material and as like a kid you would just, never mind I just I outed myself feel like as a, a gummy weirdo. snack? Yes. <laughs> Obviously you don't swallow it but just, I think it was just like a, a warning comfort thing to chew on a jacket. I feel like that's why they have that like that warning on it for you ages like reason. four plus or seven plus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not <mistake>. edible. <laughs> um, okay I also was raised with Barbies. I feel like I don't ever remember going out and buying my own Barbies um, but I do know that I just got a lot of hand-me-down Barbies, so mm -hmm. I definitely had a collection of weird Barbies that I remember <laughs> trying to fix. I remember getting a weird Barbie mm -hmm. from, like, you know, an older girl who's, like, you know, oh, she doesn't use Barbies anymore. Here, Taylor can have yeah. them. Yeah. And then I remember, like... <laughs> 
trying to fix their like horrible haircuts and trying to cut it perfectly straight. Like I, Beyond I redemption. redeemed my little weird Barbies <laughs> we and would like clean them off. Kind of like that scene from Toy Story where, um, oh, where he like fixes oh, them up in Toy Story Two. Everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so satisfying to yeah. watch. It really yeah. is. That's, those are my favorite scenes <laughs> of movies. Okay, 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 okay. So we all have interacted with Barbies on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, first question. What did we think about the set and costume design? Perfect. 100% perfect. Yes. It was fantastic. I thought it was so funny that there was a shortage of pink paint because of the movie, like, just across the world. Was there really? Yeah. There was a worldwide yeah, we shortage of pink paint because of the movie. Well, it's also because of the marketing teams all over the world that yes. were <laughs> capitalizing. It. That's awesome. Speaking of marketing, like... Talk about a budget. Yeah. Yeah, but also it's like, oh my gosh, like the the amount of other companies that have like been like, and we're doing a Barbie collab and like all they have mm-hmm. to do is say it's Barbie and throw a little bit of pink on there yep. and I can just imagine their sales are just skyrocketing Absolutely, right now. they're riding the wave. Um, I think they did nostalgia well because it wasn't just a replay of what right. you knew because there were Barbie movies back in the day. Yeah, it that's was true. A, I'm going to target this to the age of people who really grew up with these for the age they are now. Right. So that was also smart for just for making yeah. it in general. No, the set design. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine of Barbie land. I mean, it was mm-hmm. perfect. The pink, like the attention to detail. Yeah. It was incredible. Or and how it you was would so play with your Barbies. Like, I, I'm trying to remember if it was Greta Gerwig herself or someone else pointing out how like when Barbie just floats off of her dream house. Because no little girl takes her yes. Barbie down the stairs. That attention to detail mm-hmm. was so crazy. Yeah. Or like she poured herself orange juice and nothing came no, out. Get, she took she a shower. Her hair. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was fabulous. The, yeah. It was so imaginative and creative. Yeah, yeah. I could I, that like easily um, translates or leads us into my next question. What, in your opinion, were the best scenes? I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go, go ahead. First. Go ahead. I loved when she stepped out of her shoe and it was still a high heel. Like that <laughs> to me, I was just like, nailed it. That is Barbie. Like that is yep. so unique to Barbie that she is constantly on her toes like that. Yeah. I love that. And then um, Ken's like the song, song monologue. The beach blonde was, was <laughs> the great shot. Yeah. The blonde fragility. I'm just like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I would say for me, um, towards the end, after (laughs) when all of the Barbies are kind of under the Ken's spell of patriarchy, oh my god, and um, they all start kind of waking up, and it's it the whole scene is so satirical where it's just pointing out like these very niche references of like a very specific type of guy that we've all dated at least one at least one point in our lives where they were talking about like having to deep clean the whole house after they took over the dream houses or um, only sat in leather couches or that they were explaining finances to them and like or that, the guitar player like getting played oh my gosh, at being serenaded there was a guy who was um so i have mixed feelings about this the movie and that scene in particular but there were like there were the pieces of truth in it that were just kind of spot on (laughs) right and there was a guy saying like how is that even realistic i'm like you you i've been serenaded at and it's the most awkward thing in the entire world and you don't want to say anything because it's like they're trying so hard but internally you're just like get me 
Ow. So yeah, you're cringing it was, hard it was on awkward. The it's like, oh, I'm just here. What am I supposed to do? In no, you're supposed situation. to sit there and enjoy. But mm-hmm. it was it was just funny because like everybody out, like our age in the theater was watching those pieces or and the they were Godfather laughing. One. Have y'all had that happen? The like yes. explaining Godfather to you? Yeah. Well, I was the one who liked the Godfather, so it's a bit different. Oh, okay, but. you're ex- the exception. Not, I've actually never seen Godfather, but I have been talked at. I feel like okay, now instead of the Godfather, it's the Wolf of Wall Street. They try yes, to do that. Right. Right. That's true. Yes. I love that movie. By the way, boys don't come after me. <laughs> there was there was another little moment that I really liked when she was sitting at the park bench and just saw this like woman who just aged gracefully. She's just there living her life. Um, that that scene I really liked, and I had mm. I still have like complex feelings where I'm trying to ex- see if there's a more there with that whole scene where she's yeah. just watching people have yeah. conversations. Did you know, know that old that. woman at the bus stop was the original Barbara Handler who Barbie yes. was based? I thought that was... I, I didn't, didn't find know out until way after. That was too. amazing. I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool. I thought that was nice. And I, that's where I'm wondering like, if some of that messaging comes in. I, I felt like the film was conflicted on whether or not they liked Barbie at the end. Right. But that was one of the moments where I felt like they did see the good of, of Barbie being yeah. something that you aspire to. So mm. if you as a little girl see yourself as this, this beautiful woman, then that's mm. what you think of yourself. So I, cool. I thought that that was... That's that nice worked. That did work for me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because you're. That is like three questions down. Um, I do want to get to like the tone and messaging, but mm-hmm. let's just go through really quickly. What did you think of Barbie? What did you think of Ken? What did you think of them? Like as a couple or like individual. What do you think of Barbie herself? I mean, Ken. Margot Robbie is Barbie. Like she's the yes. one of the most beautiful women in the world. I th- I don't think they could have had a more perfect Barbie. 100%. I thought she encapsulated still being smart and fun mm-hmm. while also being beautiful and um you know the the dream girl like yeah. she she was stereotypical Barbie and I thought she was perfect but they didn't make her dumb or anything yeah. like that like she was still in touch with her feelings and fun and and smart and she wasn't an expert on everything she just knew but she enough. was self aware yes. too and I I really liked how they did her yeah I loved Ken I thought Ken was the best part of the movie if I'm yes, being honest honestly yes I, like I just thought I was actually scared of his casting originally I was too he, you know how he's like getting a little bit older I'm like oh does that work for Ken he worked right. as Ken he was 100%. perfect. I know. I take it back. I thought he was a great Ken. I thought the idea of making Ken kind of like an accessory and he's dealing with his internal, you know, struggle. Like his of, identity crisis. Truly yeah. an and identity Ken. crisis. And, <laughs> and Ken. Which, I mean, and maybe that's fair to the to male perspective right now, but I thought he made a great Ken. I loved how funny and and silly they made Ken. It, it just, it added a He had a the level best lines, it. in my opinion. Like yes. Ken, like all of his lines were so solid. Ken's job is beach. Like <laughs> that's hilarious. I am beach. <laughs> and then all the different Kens and all the different Barbies. So it's like everyone was represented. I'll just say really fast. Loved Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling. I can't think of anyone better to play those parts. I do love that Ken was a bleach blonde because mm. I know that Ken can also be a brunette. Like that was like classic Ken. Yeah. But I love that they kept Barbie true to who she was and they didn't make fun of her. Like I was really afraid that they were going to rip her apart and be yeah. like, see, like Barbie is like the worst and like she's I such feel a- like they did a little. So I disagree a teeny bit, but we can get into the that in the second <laughs> tone of messaging. Yeah. And then with Ken, um, I just I just feel like he got so gypped in this role. 
Like, really? I really do. I was like, I mean, they definitely didn't make him look great for sure. But I also thought it was. I funny. just was like, we were also like, I honestly think Ken is like everyone's favorite. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, obviously Margot Robbie is perfect, but like as Barbie, but Ken was just hilarious he was funny. and had good. Like, he was trying to find himself, and mm-hmm. when he was wrong, he owned it. And then he was like, he just wanted to be with Barbie. Like, mm-hmm. <gasps> yes. And then Barbie was like, mm, no. I was like, mm. but she wasn't good to him to, to begin with. So it was a weird complex sort right of thing. yeah it was kind of like where ken and barbie but like you're not boyfriend girlfriend yeah i don't get it why not yeah why can't well, you show I, i'm okay with the fact that they didn't end up together because the way that they were playing the characters they weren't i didn't think that that was a good match sure but i think if it had ended more with a like oh you're barbie's out there but it's not me that would have been something i was fine with yeah he mm. needs but, his little soulmate yeah Poor guy. Or maybe Ken just needs to find himself. Maybe Ken needs well, to find first, Ken I before think you need he gets to. with Barbie. Yeah. But her being I can't believe how forever. deep we're looking into Barbie right now. I've never talked about well, Barbie nearly as much. film, though, so I feel like there does need to be that. Yes, that she, deeper... she has a, a lot of depth to her, Yeah, which I knew we were. We, there was going to be more depth as soon as I found out she was doing it, which I appreciated. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I totally understand. Do you have a favorite line from the movie, like a joke that you just really loved? Oh, I mean, does Ken's yeah. song count? Like the whole thing. I know. I th- it's so good. I-, I think, honestly, I think when he said my job is beach, that I think great. that's hilarious. Because now TikTok has taken that and exploded. And now everybody's showing what their Ken's job is. My Ken's job is office. And you came <laughs> with your ex- husband? My job, my Ken's job is office and lawn. He came, <laughs> he came with an Excel spreadsheet and a lawnmower. It's <laughs> so cute. So, I, I mean, I thought anything Ken said is probably. Or pa- honestly, when he said, like, patriarchy, when he was like, what is it? Like, I must go tell the others. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I, oh, I'm trying to think of a favorite line. Okay, I know. I know. So did y'all watch the deep dive Ben Shapiro did on the Barbie movie? No. It was 40 minutes. And then he had a whole other little debate with Brett Cooper about it for another like 15. I have watched both of them, but I'm a child and I thought that them having the beach off was funny. So that worked for oh, me. That's it, funny. It <laughs> I funny. thought it was funny. And the way they did it with the giant fight at the end, that all was great. So yeah. <laughs> I, for me, the jokes all landed. I love it. I think the the weird Barbie where she's like holding up the shoes the Birkenstock. <laughs> yeah, the Birkenstock is just like, wow, that is so accurate. And she's yeah. like, pick which one you want. No, you have to pick this one. Like, <laughs> I love that line. And then when Ken was like, hey, Barbie, like, want to go hang out later? Why? You know, boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. What is that? Yeah. Honestly, I have I don't no know. idea. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, Ken, you're so cute. <laughs> it was just the Ken lines. They killed. Yeah, Ken yeah. killed. Ken killed. Okay, now... Last question, thoughts on the overall tone and messaging and then, you know, the plot itself, which I'll just start out by saying, I don't think the movie had a plot. It was very like, mm-hmm. it's like they say, were trying we talk so about? <laughs> hard to get there. And I heard like, I could be totally wrong. So totally fact check me. But I think Warner Brothers had it. And then like, they like sold it to oh, I whoever. Didn't know if they did and then that. like then Greta got involved later and I just feel like they're mm. trying so hard to like bring it in line but it just kind of got lost mm-hmm. I so earlier today I was like just mentioning a little bit of the show to to Brit and one of the things that we said was um oh um oh my gosh how did I just leave my train of thought right now <laughs> in the middle of this um 
Okay, skip me. Next. You know what? Brit, that go. should be the blooper. That should be the blooper for this week because I get the blooper every week because I mess <laughs> we'll up. And one. now Ari has has her own blooper. We love bloopers. There's, <laughs> what's a podcast without a blooper reel? Um, okay, so for me overall, I liked the movie. I did not hate it. I certainly did not love it. The plot for me felt super disjointed. It felt like the storyline was all over the place, mm-hmm. but then like by itself, but then there's always a grasp for feminism. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. we knew we knew it was gonna be a feminist movie. Like I think we all went in understanding that. And to their credit, I think it could have been a lot more feminist yes. and crazy mm-hmm. than it was. Um, still a little bit too much for my taste, but. Yeah. Overall, the plot was all over the place. I think for me, what I really enjoyed was I I just enjoyed like the aesthetic and the vibe and the fun of Barbie land, mm-hmm. seeing Margot Robbie as Barbie. Thought that was fun. You know, I, I still think they talked about issues of, that women face in a way that, you know, makes sense. Like, I think a lot of conservative men hate the movie and, and maybe rightfully so. But I think a lot of conservative women walk away liking it a little bit mm-hmm. because it's like, it's, you know, women do face specific issues that men will never have to have to understand. Mm-hmm. But that's OK. Yeah. Sometimes it's really, really hard to be a woman. It just is. That doesn't mean it's not hard to be a man. Doesn't mean that men don't have their own issues. It's just hard in a different way. It's just different. Yeah. But both matter and both yeah. are OK to talk about. That doesn't I don't believe in this big, massive, oppressive patriarchy that keeps me from doing things at all. But to say there's no patriarchy ever, I don't know that that's necessarily true either. Women women do experience some issues. I'm now remembering my point. Um, oh. <laughs> so we were talking about the differences between what we thought when we first left the theater and right. then the day after. So yeah. do you want to go over what you thought between Such those two? Such a good point. How at oh, yeah. first you yeah. were just like, what? And then the next day it settled in. Literally, I yeah. walked out and I was just like, I don't know how to feel. I don't know yet what I think about, which usually it's pretty cut and dry for me. I know if I like something or if mm-hmm. I don't, but it was just a lot more layered than I thought, which again, I can't believe I'm talking about Barbie. Like it's so layered, but it was in the sense that like movie quality wise, it was super disjointed. It was all over the place. I had a hard time keeping up because I don't think they really knew where the story was going. And it yeah. was always a reach for feminism. Yeah. But on the other end, I, re- I thought the satire about Ken and patriarchy was funny. Mm-hmm. I don't think they took it too far. I think they made fun of a very niche type of guy, yeah. <laughs> which is a type of guy that a lot of millennial women have dated at least once or twice. Mm-hmm. So we could all get in on the joke and it's funny and it's self-aware. Like I was even telling Taylor, they... <laughs> They made fun of, um, like, they brought in a Matchbox 20 song push that apparently oh, yeah. this type of guy loves. So when I came home from the movie, I was, like, singing it to myself around the house. And mm-hmm. my husband was like, did they make fun of Matchbox 20 and use push? <laughs> and I was like, oh, so you're who they made fun of. <laughs> um, so all that to say, I walked away really liking it. I didn't think it was too feminist. and you know, I wish they'd pulled it back a little bit more. I enjoyed the satire. Mm-hmm. I just wish that there was like a more cohesive storyline. What I what I realized with my first viewing and it was like you were I was confused and I real it wasn't until the next day mm-hmm. where I was like whenever I was trying to grapple with it and I couldn't understand how I feel, it's because I was grappling with the message because right. there was no plot mm-hmm. to, to Yeah. Exactly. Right. And the other thing um that you mentioned was the the Kens and the satire about guys in that sort of way. Um I I actually, it didn't bother me um, that they acted that extreme whenever he Mm -hmm. first was introduced to the real world because he was under, like, oppressive 
extremist feminism basically right right? yeah that's what i think leads to that kind of behavior that what i call like the andrew tate kind of behavior yeah so like a full pendulum swing to the other and so for me i'm like well that actually is super insightful that this sort of and this is where i don't think where i felt like the movie was almost fighting with itself where Mm -hmm. it had like these moments of truth Mm -hmm. because if you're just a good writer you will at least try have like you'll look at the real world and like pull from that right Mm -hmm. so i think that that pendulum swing really worked for me and also like highlights that why do we have like men moving in that way whenever it wasn't here even a few years ago Mm -hmm. and so it's just like this huge toxicity and then of course the messaging at the end i mean i can't stand i mean i couldn't stand it and i'm like the whole time i knew it would happen Mm -hmm. but i just had hope yeah the messaging could have been we need each other and whenever we're working separately is there someone who's like is there someone who's not getting their what's just yeah and right. what's due to them yeah but if we both work together we need each other and yeah. that's what we should seek and try to it look for. operated in extremes right it was yeah. extreme barbie yeah. land then it was extreme kendom yeah. land and then at the and end mojo dojo casa house i love the mojo dojo casa <laughs> yeah. house <laughs> i kind of hope they start selling those i would buy one for my future <laughs> guys I just want to throw in a personal note. My bachelorette yeah. party is this weekend and it is Barbie themed and my fiance is totally going to join at some point because mm-hmm. we are best friends and Aww. I really, really want to get him a shirt since we're all going to be dressed in like Barbie themed that he says, I am Knuff and I feel like I've just, I got to buy it <laughs> As for you him. should. I am As Knuff and just should. make him wear it around all night. Like <laughs> you are Knuff. It's okay. I, I did love like it that when he can get in on the joke. I think that's yeah. super fun. Yeah. I I hope you do. I think you should. Or yeah. like the, the romper. Oh no, get him like the big fur coat and like that's, the, that's the you move know, right there. Like the fanny that's pack the that move. says Ken. Like yes. make it super patriarchy. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love it. Um, That is definitely the costume that we're going to have to work on this year. Um, Yeah, I think I agree with y'all's general tones of like you know it was a little directionless mm-hmm. really sad that the end like went back to an extreme like you would have thought it was here's a learning the other experience. weird thing though so the ending they just had multiple endings and i don't think greta gerwig knew what she actually wanted to do but that's because at the end of it she what she created there was not a good world and it's mm-hmm. not a, like a fair thing to to retaliate with and also i don't think the real world is as broken as they think and kept making it out to be right during well, the whole movie so like would feminism. anything like yeah but would anything like what she went through when she was on the roller skates and like get like would a guy not, actually come up and smack you these days like i don't in the middle of the day like if there's a shady club and she's just there and doesn't like i feel like there's could have been something yeah, but that's that was not I mean, well, case was well, in california to be well to be fair that happens. Like I'm in not in California in the middle, in the middle of, the of the day. day a, a random guy will just walk up and slap you on the butt. I'm not saying it's happening to me, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying like just because it hasn't happened to us doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But what's ever. what she's saying though, and what they're trying to make it seem no, is they that make that's it something an you're extreme. in danger of. They make it an extreme for sure. But I will say I feel a lot more. Um, I don't say pr- what's the word I'm looking for. Like I don't know targeted in that way when i am walking through somewhere like california also she was in venice beach i don't know if y'all have been to venice beach that is the wild freaking west (laughs) that is a scary scary place to be and actually if it was gonna happen it probably would be in a venice beach if i'm being totally honest because here in texas like that's the thing that really gets me about california versus texas texas here people think of it as like the men are in this patriarchy and they're more powerful or whatever the men here are so gentlemanly yes. and they have such regard for women that more oftentimes than not, I would argue that does not happen in a place like Texas. 
In a place like California? Or a guy... No, in, in Texas, that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Or if it as did it happen, I feel like there'd be, like, another guy who saw that and would go, like, yeah. fix exactly. the situation. There's, there's a yeah. sense of honor and protection and, mm-hmm. and looking at women in a certain way. I'm not saying there's nobody here that's in on, you know, yeah. sure, in a, sure, sure. acting inappropriately. But I will say that, like... For example, I've I've got le- like left-leaning friends that know where I work and they think that the men are probably the worst here. What I will say is that the men that work at TPPF are some of the kindest, most respectful men yeah. I've ever met. I've never felt more seen or more valued um, or more believed in Aww. than I do in a place like here. Totally agree. And it's because of this masculine culture that's done appropriately. Yeah. Um, in California, masculine masculinity is toxic over there because there is no proper masculinity and i would argue those are the people that are you know catcalling or laying hands on a girl so that's just and they did show the other side of it too so like what i really hated originally was the girl's dad like just being like this oh whatever guy kind of a loser just trying to learn his yeah where's dad not really important but the weird thing was so i was in um california this weekend Mm -hmm. and i was at this one bar in um and this was like in the middle of San Diego and the guys there were just really like passive scared sort of thing. And so it was really weird kind of seeing that. There's no in between in there life. where it's I like, know. it's a scary not... time to be a guy. I feel like but especially then in, in one of the other weird. cities um, we went to, which is farther inland, there was um, that's where we were like kind of followed a little bit and got creepy vibes. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting that maybe it's just a California thing that's around there or well, like a like bad urban. culture. I mean, thing. and and to be like, I love California. Well, things about California (laughs) let's be clear like I'm from there there are things I love about it and I'm not saying every guy there is one way or another like that's not what I I, but I will say there is like a culture there where either men are terrified of women or because there is such a lack of like appropriate masculinity the pendulum does swing in a disrespectful direction. Yeah, I do want to say before we move on, though, that it's just a really funny story. So we had a premiere for Forging Texas, which Mm -hmm. Ari was a part of that project. It's super cool. Go check it out on YouTube. Um, (laughs) But shameless plug. Um, (laughs) But my soon-to-be mother-in-law flew in from California because he's from California also. Mm-hmm. Um, marrying a Texan, so good for <laughs> <Good man>. him. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, she came in town for that, and it's like this, like, um, you know, obviously show about forging Texas. How was mm-hmm. Texas created? All the Texas things in Texas that make Texas, Texas, whatever. Can I say Texas more times in a sentence? Probably not, but you but should you try. you should always aspire to. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. always. <laughs> um, but she, I remember her coming in and speaking of, like, our male coworkers here, like, they were wearing their cowboy hats, they took off their hat, they did a little bout like mm-hmm. shook her hand and she yep. was just like in awe she was like that's amazing this is wonderful <laughs> like i did not know that this existed like is this real? And I'm like, no, our guys are super great. Like, uh, raise them right. The best. That's why I married one. Because, again, mm-hmm. I was born and raised in California. I was in the California dating pool. I was like, man, this is bleak. <laughs> <laughs> I met my husband. I said, where are you from? He said, Texas. And I said, all he right. Said, Texas. <laughs> Texas. All right. <laughs> and um, then he took his cowboy hat off. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, moving on to the conservative council. Mm-hmm. We probably have enough time for one question. So okay. I'm going to read the one on marketing. Okay. Um, it says, the future of, what does the future of marketing look like? And how can conservatives specifically capitalize on this? Ooh, that's such a good question. <laughs> marketing is in such an interesting place right now. Um, what I think two things are going to prescribe to what marketing 
is it, it's not just what it is going to look like. It's what it's looking like now if you're on the pulse and you're really, really good at what you do. Mm-hmm. I would say um, storytelling is a non-negotiable when it comes to marketing. And when I say storytelling, I do mean like, yes, finding stories that, you know, you can actually tell with real people attached yeah. to it. Um, but also this idea of going back to your messaging and understanding, like really getting in the mind space of who it is you're talking to, which I know we just got into, but mm-hmm. like... If, if any of your viewers are in marketing or part of a comms team, like I can't stress enough the importance of storytelling. Um, you know, when it comes to the conservative movement, we have the immense ability to whip out research and facts and figures that all points to why we're right about a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. Because we are. The facts don't lie. Right. But ultimately... You can't get somebody you can't invite somebody to the party with a white paper. That's boring. You have to pique somebody's interest. You have to talk to the human emotion and element in somebody. You have to pull at a heartstring. Mm-hmm. No one cares about a fact unless you can really, really show them how it affects them. Yeah. How does that affect my kids? Yeah. How does that affect my family? How does that affect so and so? Like paint a picture for somebody. Mm-hmm. So I would say storytelling is a big one. The next one is kind of a hot topic and especially on the conservative movement. But where AI stands right now, I'm a huge proponent of. That doesn't mean I always will be. I think there's a really good chance that it's headed in a not great direction, um, especially because I don't think our Congress can possibly understand it well enough to regulate it. Right. Um, much like Facebook. I think we all remember when Mark Zuckerberg yeah. sat in a <laughs> testimony and people were <laughs> the questions asked were just so elementary it's just like i can't believe we're even wasting mm-hmm. our time right now but all that to say going back to ai certain tools like chat gpt and using them not to do your work for you but to supplement your work to help you save time to help um jog your creativity a mm-hmm. little bit that i think is paramount it, it is shaving hours off people's day yeah like really truly and when it comes to creative and and writing and things like that i'm not saying always use exactly what it spits out but mm-hmm. really learn to work with it learn how to give it educated prompts so that you can get a positive output from it and i think it really does take time off of your day it streamlines a lot of what marketers are doing And I was actually just in New York not too long ago for a marketing um, uh, conference where we talked a lot about AI. Mm -hmm. And someone said, AI is not going to take the jobs of marketers, but marketers using AI are going to take the jobs of marketers who are not. So I would say if you're scared of AI, I mean, you have a little bit of a reason to be. I'm not saying, you know, dive all in on AI and become a proponent. But, you know, there's something to be said about certain things like Jasper AI or ChatGPT um, or just a few things that kind of help in your content creation and streamlining your workflow. It's a new tool. Either you're going to use it or... It's a tool. They're That's how you should behind. look at it. It's a tool. It's a tool. It shouldn't be a crutch. It shouldn't be something you totally rely on, but mm-hmm. it should be something that you utilize to just make you even that much better at your yeah. job because not everybody can just jump in and use ChatGPT. Like there's there's a way of no- learning it and using yeah. it yeah, yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So I would say if you're not doing it, do it because a marketer who is using it will take your job. Love it. And that might be really, really harsh, but I really believe Mic that that's drop. where it's at right now. Mm-hmm. Um 
And don't be scared of it. A lot of businesses, I feel like, are so scared of it that they're pretending it doesn't exist. And that's fine, but that's how businesses fall to the wayside right. as well. So right. um, that's where I would say it's not just going. That's where it is now. And I yeah. think the really, really strong marketers already know that and are using it. So get on board and read up and just dive in and try it. So I love does it. That help? <laughs> yeah. So that I feel like you answered it perfectly. So as we wrap up. Um, where can they follow Red on Crime if someone's interested in it, seeing your work? How can they check all yes, that out? Thank you. Well, so obviously follow us on social media, Right on Crime. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Twitter's a big one for us as well as LinkedIn. I'm probably going to start getting into the TikTok game pretty soon here because I'm also a huge proponent of that. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter, the ROC Report. You can go check us out on our website. Um, Brett Tolman, who is our executive director, is on Fox News all the time amongst other different podcasts and shows so um, if you just got the news on odds are you'll probably see him <laughs> um, but that's a that's a great way to keep up and obviously follow us and and keep in touch with conservative criminal justice solutions because we're we're trying <laughs> I love it well Britt thank you so much for joining yeah. us it thank was such you. a pleasure uh, I feel like every yeah, conversation thanks, yeah could have gone on for hours because <laughs> this is truly just such great girls talk um, love it yeah so thank you guys for catching up with the Sweet Tea series. <laughs> we will see you next week. Bye.